Good morning, everybody. So good to see you here this morning. Andrew, thank you for those words. Um, wow, that just encouraged me greatly. So I appreciate uh, you sharing how God is in the business of changing lives. So thanks again for those precious words. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If you're visiting for the first time, a special welcome to E-Free Church. Now, before we open God's word, if you will allow me, I'd like maybe seven or eight minutes just to share some good news. All right. Do you like good news? Yes. Okay. You like good news. I like good news. I like to hear good news. And I also like to share good news. So first of all, I want to share how generous you are as a church family and how faithful God is to his church. Because of your generosity as a church family, we met our budget in 2023. Can we praise God for that? Yes. Once again, God's faithfulness allowed us to meet our budget. What that means is this. That means that the total contributions that we received exceeded the budget that was approved by the members of our church at the beginning of 2023. So, that's good news. But wait, there's more, all right? There's even better news than that. Because of the faithful stewardship of our leaders, our staff, our elders, our church officers, we spent less than what was budgeted in 2023. So when you compare the total contributions that we received against the actual spending, that difference was even greater than the already good news of meeting our budget. Does that make sense? So can we praise God for that? So I invite you to come to our business meeting next Sunday because we're going to give you all the, the fun facts and figures and we'll give you all the details. But God is an amazing God that in 2023, not only did we exceed the budget, but because of the faithful stewardship of our leaders, our staff, our elders, our church officers, the news got even better. So praise God for his faithfulness. So, you ready for some more good news? I've got some more good news for you. For some of you, you've been hearing about a new children's center for a number of years. And for some of you, not only have you been hearing about a new children's center, you've been giving toward a new children's center for a number of years. Now, there are many of you here, I see, that have joined our church family in just recent months or just the last few years. And maybe you're not familiar with the history of this project, this endeavor of this children's project, children's ministry project. In the weeks to come, we're going to share with you all the exciting details. And we're going to share how you can do your part and partner in this important project. You know, getting this project to this point has been a labor of love, hasn't it? For those who were here at the very beginning years ago, you know it has been an absolute labor of love. And it has involved many people over the years. It began with a dream and an initiative called NEXT. Some of you who were here 
for our next building initiative. You might recall those days. And because of your generosity, for a three-year period of commitment during the next building initiative, our church was able to raise over a million dollars toward that children's center. That was a good start. But when that campaign came to a close, the leaders of our church, we recognized, you know what? It wasn't quite the right time to start building. You see, because our leaders over the years, they have always been committed to borrowing only a manageable amount in the form of a loan. And so at that time, we continued to wait on the Lord. And we know this much, right? God's timing is always perfect. It is always perfect. And so after the next building initiative, we embarked on another building initiative called Impact. And so for the next three years, faithful members of our church family gave toward the Impact Building Initiative, and we raised another million-plus dollars in that three-year period. And so now, with the combined contributions from two building initiatives, along with other savings, our elders have determined that any loan amount, any potential loan amount that we may take out to see the completion of this project is absolutely manageable. And so I'm going to invite you once again to come out to our business meeting next Sunday because we're going to give you all the details. We'll lay out all the plans, and they are exciting plans. And in the coming weeks, we're going to describe to you the details of this children's center. And because so many of you have joined our church family in only the last handful of years, and because you weren't there at the beginning, we also want you to understand you have an opportunity to do your part and invest in this important project. And so in the coming weeks, we'll talk about how we as an entire church family, that includes those who participated in NEXT, that includes those who participated in IMPACT, and includes those who have joined our church family in just a matter of months or the last few years to join together as one church family. And let's see if we can even bring down a potential loan that much more and paid off even more quickly. And we're going to give you all the details next Sunday at the Sunday business meeting. You don't have to be a member of our church to attend the meeting. I invite you all. I would love to see you all there so you can hear about the exciting details of this Children's Center. You know, from day one, we've said that this new Children's Center is not only for our current generation. We are building for the next and the next and the next generations. We want to make an impact here on, in our community for those who will join eFree Church years later when all your kids have graduated from our children's ministry. So, are you ready for the best news? Here's the best news. We have signed an agreement for work to begin on the new Children's Center in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yes. We can praise God for that. Within the next couple of weeks, we will see a shovel in the ground. 
Amazing. We're going to remodel, enhance, expand our current education building. So where you sit right now, just over there to your right in the back is our education building. And that's going to be our new children's center. It's going to house all the children in one building from nursery all the way through fifth grade. And finally, I want to say a huge thank you to those who built our education building, the original building, which for many, many years served our church so faithfully. And when I say thank you to those who built that building, so when you go out today, I want you to look at that building. When I say built, I mean they actually had a hammer and nail in hand, and members of our church actually built the education building by hand. I'm curious, are there any members here who are part of that building team who had a hammer and nail and screwdriver and saw. Is there anybody in here? Can I see your hand? Right there, Al Smith. Amazing. In our first service, we had a few others who were part of that team. And so what I want to say is this. We're building upon your legacy. We appreciate the legacy that God has been developing here at Ephraim Church for 56-plus years. We are but stewards of God's church. And so I can't wait to see what he's going to do in the coming weeks. And so thank you, Al. Thank you to those who were there with hammer and nail putting up what is a wonderful building. And we're going to build upon that legacy. What that means is this, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a temporary home for a project manager. And so they'll take up maybe 10 or 12 parking spots for a little while. I'm told this project, once it gets going, it's going to not take long at all. Okay, I don't want to give you exact timeline, but we're excited that in the not-too-distant future, we will have a brand-new children's center complete with a brand-new state-of-the-art playground. It's going to be incredible. And so for the next few weeks, get ready to see a shovel in the ground, and we're going to also invite you all, if you are able to, to continue parking off-site, because we're going to lose about 10 or 12 parking spots for a period of time. But it's worth a walk, right? And that way you get your steps in. Well, thank you for allowing me to share the good news with you. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for good news. We love good news. And you are in the business of good news. Thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we open up to the gospel of John, open our hearts, teach us in a way that would transform us, that it would change our hearts, that we would look more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Journey to Rebirth, Journey to Rebirth, excuse me. Journey to Rebirth. 
And we are currently in our series called The Wonders of Jesus. We're making our way through the Gospel of John. And today we come to chapter 3. And before we read today's passage, I want to show you a picture. And as you look at this picture, I want to see if you can understand what this picture is all about. Take a look at this picture. What you see here is a very narrow opening in a castle wall. And this narrow opening has a name. It's called an arrow slit. An arrow slit. Now, it's likely most of you have never even heard the term arrow slit. You see, arrow slits were strategically placed along castle walls to provide this last line of defense. And so archers would stand on the inside of the castle walls with bow and arrow in hand, and they would shoot arrows through these arrow slits at the oncoming enemies. And while at the same time, because the opening is so narrow, it would protect them as much as possible. So these arrow slits served as like the last line of defense. Eventually, these narrow openings came to be known as loopholes. Maybe you're familiar with the term loophole. For those who grew up in other countries, that term loophole, it might be unfamiliar. But even for those who grew up here, who understand what loophole means, maybe you don't know the history behind the term loophole. And that's what often happens with figures of speech, right? We understand a term, we know what it means, but we often don't know the history behind that figure of speech. And so the English word loop, L-O-O-P, comes from the Dutch word lupen, L-U-P-E-N. And lupen means to watch, to peer. And so over time, these castle arrow slits came to represent the last line of defense, the last line to escape from those who are coming from the outside. Today, we know loophole as a legal word, right? So those who practice law, they try to find ambiguities in the law as a last line of defense. So they use loopholes in the law to the advantage of their clients. I want you to hold that thought. Hold that thought of loophole for just a few minutes. We'll come back to it in just a bit. Now, throughout our series, we've been talking much about the many differences between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels. Remember, synoptic means a common perspective. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote Gospels, and they were common in their perspective and common in how they presented their Gospels. But John's Gospel was very different than the synoptic Gospels. Remember, Matthew began his Gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Luke began his Gospel with the birth of Jesus. Mark began his Gospel with the public ministry of Jesus. But John says, no. Those are great, but I'm going all the way back to the beginning of time. 
So John begins his gospel with Jesus at the beginning of time, not because Jesus was the firstborn in all of creation. He was there at the beginning because he was always in existence. And time began because of Jesus. And all that was created was created for Jesus and by Jesus and through Jesus. And so that's one of the distinctions between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels. Another difference we said is that John has no parables in his gospel. And that's because John wrote his gospel to a later generation of Christians and to a later generation of those who had not yet heard the gospel. And he wanted to make sure that he could reveal the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And that's why the word belief it's such a prominent word in John's gospel. And today, we're going to look at yet another distinction between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels. John likes to present lengthy conversations between Jesus and individuals. And today, we're going to look at one such conversation. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 3. And I'll read to you verses 1, 2, and 3. To begin our time. John chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. The apostle John writes this. Now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus. Who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. And said Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher. Who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing. If God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We're told here that a Pharisee named Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night. Now why night? Why not during the day? Well, it's likely because Nicodemus was too embarrassed to go to Jesus during the day for fear that his fellow Pharisees would see him going to see Jesus. So, here's a question for you. Who were the Pharisees? That's an important question. The Pharisees were this influential group, a religious group within Judaism during the time of Jesus and during the time of the early church. And the Pharisees were known for their emphasis on personal piety. The Pharisees, they were mostly middle-class businessmen who served as leaders in the various synagogues. And this was an exclusive group. In fact, in all the land, only 6,000 men were accepted to become Pharisees. In all of Israel, only 6,000. That's like trying to get into the best college. They had a very low acceptance rate. And so these Pharisees, they represented a very exclusive group. And one of the things that set the Pharisees apart from all others was their deep commitment to the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees, they took the Ten Commandments seriously. Now, if you were to open up the Old Testament and read the Ten Commandments, what you would discover is this. The Ten Commandments are listed as general commandments. You would read about how we were called to have no other gods before Yahweh. 
You'd read about how we're to honor our father and mother. You'd read about how we're not to commit adultery. We're not to lie. These are very general terms. And so because the Pharisees were so deeply devoted to obeying the Ten Commandments, they felt it necessary to define the specific commandments so that they could determine how to apply each of those commandments in everyday affairs. And that's why there was another group within the Pharisees known as the scribes. So you've got this group of Pharisees, and there was an even more select group called the scribes. The scribes, they spent all their days studying the Ten Commandments and applying them to specific situations so that the Pharisees could then carry out the Ten Commandments. And the scribes, they took their work so seriously that they came up with a book called the Mishnah, M-I-S-H. N-A-H. The Mishnah, this thick book, is made up of many sections devoted to the various commandments. And one of them being the commandment of not breaking the Sabbath. So in the Mishnah, there's an entire section on detailing what it means to obey the Sabbath and not work on the Sabbath. There are 24 chapters alone in the Mishnah devoted to keeping the Sabbath. Now, in addition to the Mishnah, there was another book called the Talmud. T-A-L-M-U-D. The Talmud is a commentary on the Mishnah. So you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got the Mishnah detailing all the Ten Commandments, and then you've got the Talmud giving commentary on the Mishnah. Are you following? This is important stuff. And all this to say, the scribes, they painstakingly worked to make sure the Pharisees could apply all Ten Commandments to their daily lives. I'm going to share a couple examples of what you might find. The scribes, they said, okay, if you are a farmer and part of your job is to tie your animal to a post during the week, you could not tie your animal to a post on the Sabbath because that would be work. Okay? So during the week, a farmer would tie a knot on a rope to the animal to a post. So not tying was doing work. So the scribes determined you could not tie a knot on the Sabbath. Likewise, if you were a sailor, and you tied knots during the week, you could not tie knots on the Sabbath because that would be doing work. But there were a few exceptions. Let's say you're a farmer or a sailor. If you were skilled enough to tie a knot with one hand, you could tie a knot on the Sabbath. So they used as a, that as an exception. So if you could tie a knot, you know, try that, untie your shoe right now. And go and try it, tie it with one hand. If you could tie a knot on a rope with one hand, you could tie a knot on the Sabbath. And so the scribes came up with all these ways to get around the law, to stay within the letter of the law. 
they began to look for loopholes in the law. Here's another example. So, going back to the whole not tithing. If during the Sabbath, a man had to draw water from his well, if he had a bucket and a rope, but the rope was not tied to the bucket, he could not tie the rope to the bucket because that would be doing work unless he could do it with one hand. But there was another way out. You see, because at that time, women, if they had a scarf or a girdle, they could tie a knot in their scarf or girdle. You see, because that was considered uh, essential to their livelihood. So on the Sabbath, women could tie a knot in their girdle or they could tie a knot in their scarf. So some men, they figured, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to my wife. I'm going to have my wife tie the rope of the bucket to her girdle and then tie her girdle to the bucket. And then I could then lower the bucket into the well and draw water. Are you following here? So people back then, they tried everything to stay within the letter of the law, not to break the law. This was a life of the Pharisees. They did everything they could to stay within the law. One more example. Mortar could not be made on the Sabbath because that's work, right? Because if you'd made mortar during the week, you could not make mortar during the Sabbath. So the scribes determined that if a person were to spit on the ground on the Sabbath, that would be doing work. Because spit plus dirt equals mortar. So you can't work. You can't create mortar on the Sabbath. But to get away or to get around this, if you had good aim, you could spit on a rock. And if the rock had no dirt, there would be no mortar. So as long as you had good aim, you could spit on the Sabbath. This was a life of the Pharisee. They painstakingly attempted to observe the law and try to please God. This was the life of Nicodemus, which made it all the more remarkable that Jesus had Nicodemus come to him. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, came to see Jesus. Remarkable, because the Pharisees tended to view themselves as superior to other people. Nobody obeyed the law like the Pharisees. And so for Nicodemus to approach Jesus, that was nothing short of remarkable. And so he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform these signs if God were not with him. You see, Jesus had performed all these signs and wonders, Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they saw him and they said, you know what? There's something different about this man. Something very different. And that led Nicodemus to seek Jesus out. He was genuinely curious and he wanted answers, but he wasn't prepared for the answer Jesus would give him. Jesus says, very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. For those of you who have been attending church for many years, you might be familiar with the term born again. For those of you who are maybe newer to church, you may not be familiar 
with the term born again. Well, I want to take a moment here to focus our attention on this critically important term because it's so easy for us to take this term for granted. You know the original Greek word for again? It goes so much deeper than just doing something over and over and over again. Kind of like this. You know when you're playing peekaboo with a little kid, right? You go, peekaboo. The kid goes, again. Peekaboo, again. Peekaboo, again. So you're there for two hours doing the same thing over and over again. Over and over again. That's cute. But that's not what Jesus means when he says you must be born again. The Greek word for again in verse 3, it refers to something very specific. The word again in verse 3 represents an act that is radically different from the first and supernaturally powered. So when Jesus says you must be born again, that again is radically different than being born the first time, and it can only happen supernaturally. Jesus makes it clear that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born a second time in a way that is radically different than the physical birth, and it can only be powered supernaturally. We do, we do not enter the kingdom of God by being morally good, or by following rules, or by adhering to a cultural or a national type of Christianity that's not based on God's word. So Jesus, he, he sensed a hunger in Nicodemus. Here was a man trying his best to obey the law, and that attempt to obey the law still left him feeling empty. So he sought Jesus out. But when Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus, he didn't understand. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. It's obvious here that Nicodemus is thinking about a physical rebirth. He's thinking, I cannot start my life all over again. He misunderstood Jesus. Now look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. I'm going to pause right there. Many people have been confused by the word water in verse 5. Some here, I'm sorry, not some here, not you, but some have even gone as far as to say, well, you know what? In order to be saved, you must be baptized by water you know that that's not the case. Because we here at E-Free Church, we, whenever we baptize, we don't baptize to save people. We baptize saved people. So baptism is an outward expression of an inward 
faith. And so you know that water baptism does not save. Some, they've been confused and they've misunderstood this passage. So Jesus is not referring to a physical baptism here in verse 5, just as much as he's not referring to a physical rebirth. He uses the word water symbolically to refer to the Spirit's renewing work. So if you're taking notes, water equals renewing work of the Spirit. There's a clear and radical difference between the old and the new birth. Remember, in order to be born again, that rebirth must be radically different than the first birth, which was physical. The old birth is physical. The new birth is spiritual. And this is very important to know. Only God can make us alive in the spirit. Only God. It doesn't make any difference how hard we try. If we do not have the spirit of God in our lives, we cannot live in a way that will please him. Now, as we move on to verses 7 and 8, we come across another symbol. Look at verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know, these days, technology is so great that weather forecasters can tell us when the winds are coming, right? So I check my weather app every morning because where I live, right, where my wife and I live, it gets very, very windy. So every morning I check the weather app. And so if I see that symbol of that cloud, then I know I got to go in the backyard and roll down the umbrella. Because if you think it gets windy where you live, no, no, no. Come over to our place. It gets windy where we live. Now, I know that across the country, there are some regions that face devastating and destructive winds. They got to be so frightening. And I got to tell you, a few years ago, I experienced the most frightening winds I have ever experienced in my life. And it was two miles from our house. I was in the car. And where we live, there are a lot of open fields with a lot of dirt. And that day was so windy, it kicked up all the dirt. And the dirt formed a dust cloud with zero visibility. And it was so frightening that I, along with the others in their cars, we had to pull into a parking lot. And we sat there. I called Joanne. I said, honey, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I was literally frightened. And I'm thankful that we did not have a massive accident. So I sat there in the parking lot in my car. I was uh, recording this whole thing on my phone. I sat there for what seemed like an eternity. It ended up being like almost 45 minutes of zero visibility. As I sat there, fearful, I kept thinking, I feel a bit anxious. Do you know why and when we feel anxious? Usually it's because we can't control the situation. 
Whenever we feel anxious, it's because we cannot control that situation. Andrew, when he shared about how Jesus has been changing him, talked about control and the uneasiness of not being in control. Here's what Nicodemus learned that day. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, it's time to give up control of your life. You're trying so hard to follow the rules. That's good. It's good for you. Now, following rules is good, right? Rules are important. What would life be without rules? Okay, so, so rules are good. They're important. And I've got a question for you, but I don't want you to raise your hand here. Okay? My question is this. How many of you are rule followers? Don't raise your hand. Okay, follow my rule. Okay, don't raise your hand. But think about that question. How many of you are rule followers? Okay. How many of you are rule benders? How about rule breakers? Now, here's the thing about rule followers. For those of you who are rule followers, here's what you experience. Okay, because I, I empathize with you. Rule followers get frustrated with those who do not follow rules, right? I see your head nodding. I see your head nodding. I see you and you, you. Yes, right. Rule followers get frustrated with those who break the rules. You're thinking, if I follow rules, everyone should follow rules. Now, again, rules are important. We don't want chaos. Here's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you do a great job of following rules. But you can never follow enough rules to make God love you any more than he already does. You know, for those who are rule followers, sometimes it's hard to extend grace. And sometimes it's hard to receive grace because the emphasis is on earning through doing and following rules. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, it's time to give up control of your life right now. I got it. Just give it over to me. I'm going to do a better job than you could ever do. It's time to let the Spirit of God direct your life, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Look at verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You see, Jesus was face to face with an expert in the Old Testament law. 
And yet Nicodemus failed to see that the Old Testament talked over and over again about a new birth. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, how can you, a teacher of Israel, not know about these things? And so Jesus goes on to explain in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You see, Nicodemus wasn't the only one who knew his Old Testament. Jesus knew his Old Testament inside and out. And when he said that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus was referring back to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 21. Here's the context. The people of Israel, they were in the wilderness, and they went to Moses to complain to him. And ultimately, they were complaining to God. They thought life in Egypt as slaves was better than wandering in the wilderness. So they went and they complained to Moses. As a result, all of a sudden, poisonous snakes appeared in the wilderness and scores of people died after being bitten by these snakes. What happened after that? The survivors, they ran to Moses and they begged for forgiveness. We're sorry. We don't want to go back to Egypt. God heard their cries and God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent, place it on a post, and everybody who was bitten by the snake would look at that bronze serpent and would not die. When Jesus referred back to Numbers 21, what he was saying to Nicodemus was this. Nicodemus, I am the bronze serpent. I am the true bronze serpent. You see, the bronze serpent served as a symbol. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, that is a picture of me. I will be lifted up to die, and anyone who looks at me will live. Now, that leads us to the most famous verse in all the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We often quote this verse in isolation, but when we know the full context, we gain a better understanding of what it meant for Jesus to die in our place. No matter how hard Nicodemus tried, he could not gain God's approval by simply trying to follow the letter of the law. He needed to recognize that he was in need of a Savior. 
And ultimately, here's the good news. You want some more good news? Today's all about good news. Nicodemus, he would come to that realization. You see, because Nicodemus, as we'll find out later in this series, he was one of two men who gave Jesus the proper burial after his death. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus, and he knows your heart, he knows my heart. Maybe there are some here this morning, maybe there are some who are watching online, and maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but you're still trying hard to earn favor by keeping the letter of the law. And then maybe there are some here this morning who do not know what it means to trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The next time you read or quote that verse, picture Numbers chapter 21. Jesus is the true bronze serpent who hung on the cross for your sins and for mine. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. If we're trying to earn God's favor, what God wants is a deeper relationship with us. He wants us to live transformed lives because of what Jesus did for us. If you want to know what a transformed life looks like, read the Gospels. See what Jesus did and how he lived and model your life after him. This morning, as we close, I want to give those of you who have not entrusted your life to Jesus an opportunity to do that. I'm going to say a prayer, and if you would like to experience God's grace and his mercy this morning, I invite you to say this prayer along with me. You could say it silently. You could say it audibly. For those who have already given your life to Jesus, as we said a few weeks ago, it's okay to repeat this prayer as a reminder. So if you'd like to receive Jesus into your life today, if you'd like to renew your commitment, I invite you to say this prayer with me. God, I want to experience your grace and mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And today, I commit my life to following him. Thank you for saving me. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came into the world because we were in need of a Savior. And this week, help us to look like our Savior in all that we do, all that we say, 
Help us to live transformed lives. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this series. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. May we live in his goodness this week. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.